This is um, the topic for today. Um, we are dealing with seeing the unseen, and this morning we are going on with this series. This is a, a bit of a different um, lesson this morning, maybe some, some theory in there, and I hope that there will be some application as we go through it, and some of the content you might have heard before, some of this might be totally new, but we're going to talk about Angel Satan this morning. Those of you who um, have been watching the news, and I shared this at the, at the youth rally last week, is the, um, this, this, this thing that happened at the Grammy Awards. Now, I never knew what the, the Grammy Awards was. I thought it was a bunch of grandmothers that got together because they the Grammys. I don't know what, what Grammy was, but anyways, I figured out since I've been in the States what that is. It's like the, the, the greatest musicians and influencers and whoever they are come together and they give these guys awards and say, well, you're the best ever. And so in the middle of this whole award ceremony, Trevor Noah, South African guy, I will elbow him if I see him now because I, I don't like the way that he um, handles certain things. But anyways, he's the main guy, he's the MC, and he stands in the middle of all these people and he says, here I stand amidst the greatest influence on influences on planet Earth. The guys who produce the music, the movie makers, they are the greatest influences on planet Earth. And that word is perfect to describe them, right? Because they influence, they influence our children, they influence us, right? It's, it's the people that create what we see on TV. They influence us through music. And he stands in the midst of these people and he makes this statement. And a few moments later, I think Madonna comes up and she then gives this, um, this speech about the people that are going to perform next. These are the top class performers the greatest of the Grammys are going to give a performance. And that's that photo over there that you see, the guy in the red, Sam Smith and Kim Petra. They give this performance and the song, the name of the song is Unholy. At the Grammy Awards, this guy dresses up like Satan. Some people say that this was his initiation into the Illuminati. I'm not going to go into to those details, but look at that. I mean, if you go look at the video and you go read the words of the song that he sings, it's incredible. He's singing about a man who commits adultery. He's busy cheating on his wife. That's the song. That's what the song is about. It, and it's called Unholy. And guess what these, I don't know how many they were, but there's hundreds of influencers. Guess what they do when this performance is over? They all stand up and clap their hands and say, wow, that is incredible. Kim Petras is a... Is, is, is a man that's now a woman, and she was she, she's the first transgender person to receive a Grammy. And she's dancing at the back while, the, while Satan is going on in the crowd here. She's at the back on the stage, and she's in a cage, dancing up and down. She, he, I don't know what to say. The person, okay, is, is dancing. And I find this whole scenario quite, quite disturbing. It's like, and, and there's been a big outlash. Um, against Sam Smith about this um, from Christians um, because he dresses like Satan. He dresses like Satan in the midst of all the greatest influences of our world and everybody claps hands. That's incredible that we are celebrating. We're celebrating Satan. Satan is no longer hiding. He is he's coming out in full colors in our world. That's what's happening currently. And our influences, the people who write the songs, and some of those songs some of us probably listened to this morning, they're clapping hands at this guy and saying, well done, that's incredible, well done, what a great performance. I think that's disturbing. But what I find interesting is j just the way that he's trying to illustrate Satan. Um, 
you know, is Satan a guy with, with horns and a, and, and a pitched fork? I mean, when we, when, we, when we think of Satan, what do we think about? We think about that image sort of there on, on the right, right? That, that goat, he's got wings and he's all, all kinds of signs and he's got this pentagon above his head. And so we, we're trying, what the human race is trying to do is we're trying to make a physical representation of what evil looks like. Because we know that Satan is evil, and so we try to make all of these images of what he looks like. And, I mean, look at this bad boy. I mean, I don't want to mess with this. I don't want to arm wrestle this guy. I think that'll be pretty painful. Now, now this, this guy, said, no, this is just what, one second, sorry. Another image of us trying to sort of make a picture of what this guy looks like. This guy is known as Lucifer. You've heard that before. Son of the morning, it means. Anybody heard any other word that he's known as? Is devil. Diabolos is the Greek word where we get the English word diabolical from. He's diabolical. What other word have we heard him being described as? He's a dragon. He's the serpent. Yeah. Belial. Beelzebub. We hear Jesus calls him. He's the Lord of the flies. Which is a whole other description that we can talk about one day. Everybody's trying to figure out what this guy looks like. They're trying to embody evil and paint a picture of him. Um, I think if we wanted really an image of him, I think if we really wanted to make a biblical picture of him, this would be one of the pictures. Can you imagine that he would look like that? The reason why I say this because Ezekiel tells us, this is what a cherub looks like. It's a type of angel. He sort of has a description of him. He's got four wings and he's got four heads. The head of a human and, and I think an ox and a lion and an eagle. And he's got feet like a, like a cow. That's sort of, if you really wanted a physical description of Satan, if he's a cherub, then that is what he would look like. Here's another one. Also a description that we find in the book of Ezekiel is that he's got eyes. Eyes under his wings. All kinds of eyes. That looks weird, doesn't it? If we really wanted a physical description of Satan, this is what I think he would look like. So the title of this lesson this morning is Angel Satan. Angel Satan. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Satan. And I don't want you to worry. I start the lesson like this, but I don't want you to worry about what he looks like. What I want us to worry about is what he's doing and where he is currently and how do we respond to that. And over the next two or three weeks, we're going to talk about this. And maybe what comes up in your mind is why talk about Satan? And this is actually pretty interesting because the Bible doesn't really give like the type of details about Satan that we really want. The Bible gives us over and over details about who? About God and about Jesus because that's really what matters. When, when bankers, we've spoken about this, I maybe mentioned this to you before, when bankers, when they try to, when they get taught how to distinguish between fake dollar notes and, and the real thing is, how would they do that? They don't go study a bunch of fake notes. They study the original and then they know how to deal with the fake. And I think we need to do the same. We need to deal, we, we need to study God. We need to study Jesus. We need to study his scriptures. So that we can identify when Satan is around us and having an influence on us. But however, the Bible does reveal to us some things about Satan. And I think we need to deal with those. 
And so we're going to deal a little bit with knowing our enemy, which is Satan. By the way, Satan is not God's enemy. Satan is our enemy. Sometimes Satan is portrayed as this being that is making life difficult for God. No, he's not. God can trample on him just like this. He is on the earth, as you'll see this morning, and he is our enemy. And so I think we have to know our enemy, but we have to be careful. I like this quote. This is by uh, some Chinese guys, Sun Tzu, in The Art of War. If you know your enemy and yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. And I think there's some truth in that. We need to know how Satan operates, but we also need to know ourselves. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. And so there is validity in studying our um, enemy. But we also need to know other things as well. So we don't, we don't pin all of our spiritual hopes on knowing Satan and how he works. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6 tells us that we shouldn't go beyond what is written. And so we have to be careful when we talk about Satan because we can come up with all kinds of ideas that's actually not in the Bible. And so that's basically my responsibility. Does everybody here know Nelson Mandela? Okay, let's do it this way. Who's never heard of Nelson Mandela? Wow, that's pretty cool. Hey, I know. To sort you out there. Okay, so Nelson Mandela was thrown into prison by the apartheid government, by basically my ancestors, my white African ancestors. They throw him into prison, and this is one of his quotes. He says, know your enemy and learn about his favorite sport. Because you know what happened in South Africa is that South Africa, by the way, is like one of the best, probably the best rugby nation in the world. Those of you who don't know what rugby is, you need to go pray about that and repent. <laughs> so, so South Africa plays brilliant rugby. But because of apartheid, South Africa was not allowed to participate in the, in the Rugby World Cup. So in 1992, I think it was, Nelson Mandela was eventually released from, pris from prison. In 1995, obviously the world then opened up to South Africa and said, okay, now since apartheid has ended, you've released Nelson Mandela from prison, um, what we're going to do is we're going to say you guys can participate in the World Cup. And you know what? To celebrate this even more, South Africa, you can host the World Cup. That's a massive, exciting, I was uh, 10 years old. This was huge in South Africa. This was like massive. Thousands of people from all over the world coming to South Africa, coming to play rugby. And for the first time, South Africa can participate in the Rugby World Cup. And guess what happened? Who's the best team in the world, by the way? Who's the best? South Africa won. And look here, that's, that's Nelson Mandela shaking our captain's hand, Franz Chopinard. This He's got the trophy, which was a massive celebration. And the whole world looked at this and said, look at this. Look, this is beautiful. That's why Nelson Mandela got the uh, Nobel Peace Prize, right? Because look at what he did. I mean, he's supposed to hate the white guy. But he's... On the field, giving him the trophy, celebrating with him, saying, Hey, we're friends. You guys threw me in prison, but here we are, and we are friends. It's like the symbol towards the world. But now let's go back to the statement. Know your enemy and learn about his favorite sport. That's what it's about. When Nelson Mandela was in prison, he knew how he was going to capture the hearts of the white people. Look at this sport. They all love rugby. So if you go down into the field and you wear the rugby jersey, you're going to win your enemy over. Now, that's a, a lesson on, on its own, and that's not really the direction I'm going with Satan, but I just want to stick to the quote. We've got to know Satan's sport. And we've got to figure out what is his sport. And the next few weeks, 
we will obviously then um, be dealing with that. So let's start right at the beginning this morning. Where does Satan come from? Now, we don't have much information. Um, the Bible doesn't say, okay, this is Satan. This is how I made him, when I made him. And this is what he did. And this is why he's on the earth. And this is how he got you. The Bible doesn't give us that type of information. We do have two prophecies that speak about the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon. Clearly, if you read the text, it's about physical kings that were on the earth. But if you read these texts carefully, you seem to pick up some things in there that talk about Satan. It cannot refer to the king in question. And so it seems like these prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel, they knew something about Satan at that stage in their lives that seems to have been public knowledge for, for most other um, Jews at the time. And we're going to read what, what he says, and then maybe we can make some conclusions from that. So let's look at it. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. You were in Eden. Now, first of all, that's, that's a problem because this king wasn't in Eden, right? You agree with me? So he's talking about somebody that was in Eden. We know who was in Eden, right? Satan was there, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, no idea what that is, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold, on the day you were created, they were prepared. Quick question. Is a human being created or is he procreated? He's procreated. God given birth. So this being that was in Eden was created. Okay? Not procreated. It, if this was talking about a man, it would say the day you were born. Right? It says you were created. Verse 14. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. A human being can, cannot be anointed as a guardian cherub because he's a human. He's not an angel. For so I ordained you, you were on the holy mount of God, you walked among the fiery stones. And then he goes on. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, and I made a spectacle of you before kings. If this was an earthly king, it wouldn't make sense that God says, I threw you to the earth. Why? Because he's already on the earth. Okay? So we can, we can deduce from this that potentially this is talking about Satan. Isaiah says, chapter 14, verse 12, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, Son of the dawn. By the way, that morning star there is Lucifer. Lucifer seems to have been Satan's name given by God. It's not a bad name, by the way. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And so you've picked up in these verses, there's a few things that tells us this is not a human. He is in Eden. No human was there except Adam and Eve. Created, not procreated. He's a cherub. Um, he's blameless. He's thrown to the earth. All of this indicates to us that these texts potentially refer to Satan. So what do we make of this? A few points. 
God created Lucifer, not Satan. I want this to sink in here for a moment. God created an angel. That angel was a cherub, and he was called Lucifer. Probably that was his name given um, by God. But somewhere in this, in this angel's life, he rebelled against God. And we saw the reasons in the text. And he became this being that we know of today as Satan. So God created Lucifer, not Satan. The reason why I mention this is because God never created a being with a pitchfork and horns that runs around wanting to destroy people. Because the first thing that people will tell you is, well, you guys are Christians and you believe in Satan. Why does God create an evil being like that, running around and hurting people and causing suffering? God never created that guy. God created somebody different. He created a Lucifer. He created a guardian cherub, a beautiful one, by the way. The text says that he's the morning star, that he's perfect in beauty, that he's adorned by precious stones, that he has got tambourines and pipes. I don't know if you picked that up. It says his fittings and his mountings. And that for me is interesting. It's like he, had, he has tambourines and pipes built into him. It's like a built-in sound system. Have you ever heard of a being with a built-in sound system? And that's why some people say that Satan was sort of the leader of worship in heaven. And this is where they get some of that. He was a special being, beautiful, perfect in beauty, blameless, and potentially the leader of worship. And he was not just a cherub. He was a guardian angel in heaven. So he had a specific task. And he seems to have been trusted by God because he was blameless. That's what we pick up from these two texts. Secondly, Lucifer created Satan. The text says that he became proud on account of his beauty. He corrupted his wisdom with his splendor. He said to himself, I can rise above God. I can be a God myself. We see a hint of that in Genesis chapter 3 verse 5 where um, Satan says to Adam and Eve, if you, if you eat of this, the reason why God don't want you to eat from this tree is because you will be what? Like him. So Satan was always suspicious about God, it seems like. Somehow or another, he viewed God with jealousy. He was so amazing, created by God. He was so amazing that he thought he could be God himself too. Now, this lines up with what Paul writes about elders. Can you believe it or not? Look at this text. 1 Timothy 3 verse 6. An elder must not be a recent convert, lest he be lifted up with pride and fall into the same condemnation as the devil. You, you picked that up? And so I think Isaiah and Ezekiel seems to be accurate in a sense. Yes, Satan had a pride issue. He thought more about himself than he should have. And that caused his fall. Paul seems to have understood the same um, idea. So Satan was given an exalted position. And that gave him a heart of pride. And this is why perhaps this quote is quite true. From Satan. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And that's potentially why he rebelled. Thirdly, Satan was a guardian cherub. He was a guardian cherub. He was a guardian angel. These angels protect the holiness of God. The first mention of them in the Bible is in Genesis 3.24, where they are said to keep watch over the gate to Eden. They protect the holiness of God. They protect the tree of life. And if this is true, it means that God gave Lucifer a very important job. 
to protect God's holiness by not allowing Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he did exactly the opposite. Fourthly, Satan was expelled from heaven and he was cast to the earth. When did this happen? Well, we don't have a date. But I suspect it was, I suspect personally it was done during the fall of man. The moment man sinned was the moment Satan turned his back on God. And that tells me that the best time frame of Satan's expulsion would have been from the fall of man during that time. Now, what do we, what do we think so far? Just two thoughts from me. Evil is birthed in us when we defy God. Satan was a being created by God. He was upright and he was blameless and he was, he was a really incredible being. But he decided to defy God. And that moment is when evil was birthed. This is important to talk about because you hear people in our world blame God for evil. Can you blame God for what Satan did in his personal capacity? You cannot blame God. The same thing in our lives. We cannot blame God for evil. Very important. Secondly, suffering is birthed when evil is born. So how does it work? Evil happens because we make decisions that defies God. And because we make evil decisions, suffering ensues and we experience pain. It starts with our own, our own defying of God. Don't blame God for your suffering. This is very important. Don't blame God for your disease. Give credit where it is due. God gave human beings free will to make decisions, free choice. And if we use our free choice to defy God, expect evil, expect suffering. Satan is teaching us here. This is how it works, guys. Look at this beautiful text, Ecclesiastes 7.29. God created man upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. When God looks at, when He creates you, here's a baby coming into the world. Believe it or not. I mean, look at yourself in the mirror today and, and like, look at yourself and say, once upon a time, I was amazing. Sin free, zit free. Now I'm old, ugly, and hairy. God never created you with your mess. He created you neutral and clean. And as you went on with your life, you met friends. You saw stuff, you heard stuff that created you, that, that you listened to, that you defied God, that has led you to being the person that you are today. We, Satan teaches us that. So, what that teaches us is, also don't feel too bad about being in a mess. If an angelic being like this can mess up, duh, it's going to happen to us too. But here's the difference, we have Grace. A God of grace, which is absolutely incredible. So I want to take you to uh, just a, uh, get, getting back to the fall of Satan. Just quickly, some verses to read. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. This is the fall. So Revelation confirms what Ezekiel says and what Isaiah says. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say. This is Revelation 12 verse 10. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. And the authority of his Messiah. 
For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accused them before our God day and night, has been hauled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now, listen to this last verse. This is crazy. Therefore rejoice, you heavens. Can you imagine this scene? Like heaven, guys, let's be happy, man. Why? Be happy. Why? Because Satan is gone. He's, been, he's, he's taken out, man. He's not in heaven anymore. And then he says, but woe to the earth and the sea. Because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury. Because he knows, knows that his time is short. How many years do you have left to live? Whatever number of years that is, Satan knows that's the time he has left to get you off track. His time is short. He's angry. If you haven't met Satan face to face, it's because you are running in the same direction. I like this quote when I looked at it. Because Satan is here, ladies and gentlemen. He has a third of the angels in heaven with him. They are waging war against those who obey God. We are his target. We are his sport. We are his sport. The devil wouldn't be attacking you so hard if there wasn't something valuable inside of you. Thieves don't break into empty houses. Guys, let's read that again. If you are at war and you are struggling, you've come here this morning and it's a battle for you. That's okay. Satan is busy with you. That's good. If everything's smooth, you've got to like stop for a moment and figure out, hey, why don't I have an enemy? Well, because you're not a threat. You're not a threat to the, to the, to the king of darkness. And this struck me because this is so true, I think. You fast, but Satan does not eat. You labor fervently, but Satan never sleeps. The only dimension with which you can outperform Satan is by acquiring humility, for Satan has no humility. We think that we can counter, that we're going to defeat Satan by, by doing physical things. This guy is on another level, way above us. There's only one way you defeat this guy, by humility. What type of humility? The humility of Christ. Satan isn't someone you can beat without the person and the personality of Christ. It's the only way. The only thing that Satan lacks is humility. That's the only way that you're going to break this guy. Now I want to take you quickly to a scarier place. A quick question for you is, where do you think Satan lives now? Satan lives on the earth, right? We saw it in the text. So he lives here, planet earth. He's not welcome in heaven. We're all in the same place, right? Are we awake? Yeah, okay, cool. To whom does the earth belong? Oh, it's tricky, 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 tricky. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So Satan is on the earth, but the earth belongs to God. Now here's the weird and scary part. Look at this. This is Jesus talking. John chapter 12 verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. The ruler. John 14.30. I will not say much more to you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. 
Let's go again. John 16 verse 11. And about judgment because the ruler of this world now stands condemned. What about Paul who writes in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Oh, wait, there's one more. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Do you get these verses? Listen to this. Satan is ruler of this world. Let's just sink in. He's ruler of this world. He's the God of this age. The age within which we live. This year, he's the God of this age. This year, this millennium, this decade, he's the God of this time frame. From the cross until Jesus comes back again. That, that's, that's a bit great. And he's not only the God of this time. He is the ruler of this world. But he's also what? The ruler of the kingdom of the air. There's a kingdom in space that he rules over. Wow. Are there some questions going on in your mind? Or am I the only guy that's struggling with this? It's his, it's, it's, I mean, does Jesus not have authority over all things? Isn't that what Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20 tells us? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, but Satan is ruling. How do we make sense of this? Does, does he not have the whole world in his hands? Isn't that what we sing from Sunday school time? Look at this text. Well, going to get to the text now. God owns the world, but Satan rules over it. Look at this. Hebrews 2 verse 8. And subjected everything under his feet. He's talking about Christ. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. So Jesus has power over all things, but we do not see it. He allows Satan to have some type of dominion. That's interesting. And... Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 24. It's not going to last forever because look at what the text says. Then the end will come, right? When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So there's going to come a time where Satan will have no dominion, authority, and power. But still, there's some questions, right? Big questions. Why does Jesus allow Satan to rule? Do you like to figure that out, Savannah? Looks like you got, you got just the answer for us. Why does Jesus allow Satan to rule? Because he can take him out right now, can he not? Like, why does Jesus not simply end Satan and his cronies? This is one of the biggest criticisms that you find from people who are not Christians. They would say, well, if, if Satan exists, why doesn't God just destroy him? Then there will be no evil and no suffering and no pain. Just take the guy out, headshot. Shoot him like Terry shoots elk. I mean, God can, take out, God can take out Satan with one shot, Terry. What about, why does God run the world this way? Why does Satan have to be in the picture? I mean, God can push Satan to death with one thumb of his. I don't know the answer. So let's end the sermon. Let's go home.
I'm just joking. Here's, here's a few of my thoughts, and then we're going to close off. I'll go sit down. But I'll use the opinion chair for this, because this is beyond my pay grade. I believe God uses Satan to refine his people. You know, when my boys are wrestling, who do I want them to wrestle against? I want them to wrestle not against the weakest, against the strongest, because that's going to make him stronger. So I really suspect that, especially in our lives, God keeps Satan. He likes the fact that Satan hangs around. He wants Satan to hang around us because he's refining us. This guy's going to make life hard for us. It's, this guy's going to push us to our knees. He's going to call, it's, we're, going to, we're going to pray. And because of the suffering and this unnatural feeling with this enemy in our lives, what are we going to do? We're going to go to the Word. We're going to seek God. We're going to seek Him. And so God says, okay, I'm going to use Satan. Hey, hang around, bro. Okay? You hang around. You, you make life difficult for them because you know what they're going to do? They're going to look up. They're going to look at me. That's what I want. So I believe God keeps Satan here to refine us. I, I think that he also, uh, God uses Satan to see what we are made of. Okay, so you're, you say you're a Christian. Okay. Let me send Satan. Do I have to tell you the name of the book? Job. You guys don't know the book of Job? You need to go read it. But there's a conversation in heaven, right? And God uses Satan to do what? To test Job. And so my question to you is this, to all of us this morning, if God sends Satan into your life this week, what's going to happen? Because God sits in heaven, he says, Woo -hoo -hoo! there's a dragon on his way, he's going to be there this week, let's see what you do. I'd like to see what you're made of, because you sit in church, you say you're a Christian, okay, let's see what happens. You say that you will never deny me, okay, let's see what happens. Let the devil come. Let disease come. Let suffering come. Let you lose your child. Let's see what happens then. Let me take all your money away. Let, me, let, let, let Satan go and, and really destroy your finances through your disobedience to me. And let's see what happens. Let's see if you're really one of mine. Oh, there's many uses in God's mind for Satan. God uses Satan as a source of freedom. You might say, well, okay, well, what do you mean by that, Machiel? Well, this is what I mean. It's like, if there was no Satan, there would be no decision to do evil. And so Satan gives human beings the opportunity to say yes or no to God. There's always going to be two voices in your head. Yes or no, good or bad. Satan has a purpose. It makes sure that when you choose God, you chose him fairly out of your own heart and your own mind and your own will. And not because you were just created a robot. No, you always have a choice. Satan or God. And so God is happy. I like the fact that Satan is there because it gives you an adequate opportunity to choose. Choice. Thank you that Satan is there. If Satan wasn't there, we'd all be, I mean, the, there wouldn't be any need for a church. I mean, we'd all just be holy and cool and true and, and right and good. There would never be, have been sin on the earth. So there's tremendous benefit in that. We know that when we get to God one day, it was a free choice. We weren't forced. We had a choice. What Satan uses to harm you, God uses to strengthen you. What Satan uses to make you evil, God uses to make you holy. Beautiful song by, by, by Micah. That's what it's about. Your previous name was dirty because you followed the evil one. God says, okay, I'm going I'm to change it. I'm going to use that. I'm going to change you. Thank you, Satan, for really making it hard. 
Because now I found God. Satan has been the best friend the church has ever had. As he has kept it in business all those years. There's some truth in that, isn't there? Satan has a purpose. That's why God keeps him around. So what am I saying? Two things. Satan is the ruler of the world, so don't love it. Don't love the world. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in it, in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Satan rules the man-made world. He rules the authorities and the structures and, and some of the governmental aspects. But God is still God over the universe and He's God and ruler over the natural world. The more we also love the world, the more we become enemies of God and the more Satan's dominion grows. When we pay for music, TV shows, institutions of the world, we are directly funding Satan's domain. I've got a friend whose previous life caused him to gamble all his money away and used to get drunk often. And, and he does today. He will not set his foot in a gambling place, a casino, because he refuses to donate money to Satan's dominion. If getting ahead in the world means sacrificing health, relationships, or your soul, remember whose world you are sacrificing for. When the pressures of this world get you down, remember who made it what it has become. If you find yourself wanting to become the richest or most famous person in the world, remember to whom you must pay homage to achieve that position. This world is not our home. Our home is where God reigns. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. The battle of the spirits is settled in the arena of obedience. So obey. I want to take you to this verse. Ephesians chapter 2, and I want you to read it carefully with me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Listen to this. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The ruler of the air is a spirit that lives inside people who are disobedient. So there are two kingdoms and there are two rulers. The kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. That's essentially what it comes down to. When you do what the king of the kingdom wants, you are operating as a citizen of it. Which kingdom are you of? When we are disobedient to God, the spirit of Satan is working in us. Let's obey him. Guys, let's stand. Then we sing the closing.